athletic competition. It can easily be broken down into two parts. The minutes or hours it takes to complete the event. Then weeks, months, and years of joy or heartbreak. Finally, the decades to analyze and debate it. From the press box to press row, Donald Ware will break it all down for you with an in-depth look at historically black college athletics, as well as the biggest news stories and newsmakers of the day. It's time to talk the talk with those who walk the walk. From the press box to press row, here's your host, Donald Ware. See, most of my life I never had this. I felt like an outcast, treated like a misfit. Damn near You're locked into the dopest show on radio. From the press box to press row, I am your host, Donald Ware. It's a Father's Day weekend on the program. Happy Father's Day, and of course... As you know, and as we've done the last couple of years, my father, Donald Ware, going to join us on today's program a little bit later on. Very much looking forward to that. Throughout the course of the day, we're going to play tribute music to Bushwick Bill, who passed away earlier this week at the age of 52. Bushwick Bill, part of the Ghetto Boys uh, one of the the most uh, the the greatest groups of all time, most profound groups, especially when you're talking about some of the, the the messages that the Ghetto Boys presented as it related to police brutality, things that are going on in the black community, etc. And we're gonna, you know, I, I want to talk a little bit about Bushwick. Uh, Bill a little bit today on the program of course the music is going to be uh, reflective of Bushwick Bill got NBA finals obviously to talk about obviously big time NBA finals to talk about today on the program and Kevin Durant moving forward what does that situation look like moving forward with Kevin Durant I'm going to give you my thoughts on the Kevin Durant situation also on today's program Jump in on the conversation. Hit me up via Twitter at BoxToRow, B-O-X-T-O-R-O-W. That's where you can also find us on Instagram. Follow us on Instagram and on Twitter. Also on Facebook, B-O-X, the number two, R-O-W. Thank you to our great affiliates around the country that carry from the press box to Press Row. For instance, WFSK in Nashville, Tennessee, that carries the program. WJSU in Jackson, Mississippi, WGBN in Pittsburgh. That's carries from the press box to press row. All of the great affiliates around the country. Those that listen to us on Sirius XM channels 141 and 142. And of course, those that listen to us around the world at box to row.com. It's about four months ago or so that Bushwick bill announced that he had stage was in stage four of pancreatic cancer and boy i tell you that pancreatic cancer it is it is you know you do have some people that are able to survive from it but it is it is a death sentence in a lot of situations and um so of course got the news earlier in the week that he passed away and um a matter of fact i was working out on uh on monday i believe the word came down on monday so i was working out 
on Monday doing nothing but listening to uh, to Bush to songs, whether they were actually Bushwick Bill songs or actually songs that had Bushwick Bill in them. And it just took me back to a different time in in hip hop. And it took me but it just, you know, just a lot of thoughts going through my mind and, you know, what the ghetto boys meant more specifically to Southern rap. If there were no ghetto boys, I, I don't know, like, where would hip hop be today? You think about um, where ghetto boys really started and their first album was like 1986. The, the, the main members of the group that we knew, of course, Scarface, Willie D Bushwick Bill weren't even part of the group to where they came in 1989 when they made sort of as a collective unit, that first album. And then the 1990 album was really the album that put them on the map. Everybody knows ghetto boys from mine's playing trick. My mind's playing tricks on me. Well, no ghetto boys has, has done, had done a lot more before that. I meant, I mentioned a lot of the conscious songs. You had the song like city under siege, which was a real conscious song. So they had, a, they did a, a, a really a whole lot. And, you know, even Bushwick bill as a solo artist, um, you know, the song ever so clear. I mean, th- those of you that I mean, that 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 I don't know. I mean, how much realer can you get than a song like that? When he talked about that, he he had drinking, you know, he had drink or drank too much and, you know, essentially shot his eye out. I mean, you 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 can't get much. You don't get much realer than that. And, you know, I think that's some of the, what we're missing in. You know, in hip hop today really is sort of the storytelling piece of hip hop that we had grown so accustomed to, uh, you know, back in the day. So, you know, again, if it's not for the ghetto boys, do we have uh, is hip hop the way it is today? Uh, Does the South ultimately come up because you had, you know, it was ghetto boys that that really was the out of the South. I mean, if you know, of course, in Miami, you had two live crew and Uncle Luke and all that. But I mean, like the real South that Texas and Louisiana and, you know, and, and, and Alabama and so on and so forth. Would we be where we are today? I mean, ghetto boys, I think, you know, really put the South on the map when you really think about it. I mean, then ultimately or, or first put them on the map. And then I think I would even say that, you know, you had like outcast came out in 94 that really sort of further cemented the South. Um, and then, then right after that, you had, you know, you had No Limit with Master P and, and all of the No Limit soldiers, if you will, that really, you know, I mean, that just brought the South to a whole new level. And then you see what, we, what we're seeing today. Uh, you know, it's a little bit different today. But then, of course, right behind them, you had like the Hot Boys and all of that. They had that big deal with Universal. I think they signed like either in 1999 or 2000 is like four years. Thirty two million dollars is like an ultimate a big time deal back then. But the influence that ghetto boys had, and then you look at Bushwick bill as part of that group, of course, when they did the, uh, the second album till death do us, I think, what was it till death do us part? I think was the, was the next album after, um, after the 1991 album. Um, you know, it didn't have Bushwick. They had big Mike. And, And so, you know, the group had gone through some things over time, but they made, you know, some hit records, you know, first light of the day, you know, uh, ultimately was an album. I think that was uh, that may have been the 
I don't know, maybe that was a 96 album where they had First Light of the Day and The World is a Ghetto and all of those different songs that Bushwick Bill was a big part of. So that is a major, major loss, the passing of Bushwick Bill. Certainly a major, major loss in hip-hop, and we're going to play tribute to Bushwick Bill throughout the course of today's show. Hit me up via Twitter. Any thoughts on Bushwick Bill? Any memories as it relates to Bushwick Bill, as it relates to Ghetto Boys, hit me up. Twitter, Box the Row, B-O-X-T-O-R-O-W, or on Facebook, B-O-X, the number two, R-O-W. So, you know, we had game, and we are, you know, we had, so we had game five uh, of the NBA Finals on Monday took place uh, in Toronto. And I thought, you know, coming in, I thought that if Kevin Durant played, I felt like, Golden State would win if he could give them anything. I didn't foresee him getting, uh, you know, t- rupturing his Achilles and now being out, you know, having uh, maybe even out all of next year. Like, I didn't see that coming. But I thought if he could give them anything, anything, because his presence on the court demands that the opponents pay attention uh, a, lot, a healthy Kevin Durant, obviously, a lot of times demands a double team if you can get one. So the little bit of the, the he got what he played 11 minutes, scored 12 points because every time he kept hitting a shot and, and my wife's a big Golden State fan. I kept saying, uh oh, uh oh, you know, Toronto's definitely in trouble. And they were able to get a big enough lead and play, you know, for Kevin Durant, uh, if you will. And ultimately get that victory. And I'm here to tell you, I know I talked a lot about, I talked extensively about Kevin Durant um, a couple of weeks ago here on the program. And all of the haters, there's so many haters out here with respect to Kevin Durant. I mean, you got to give Kevin Durant props. We can talk about what the doctors knew and how much did KD know and all that. I'm, I'm inclined to believe that Kevin Durant knew the risks. I, now, I, I, you know, I would, I don't know if he knew that. I mean, I would assume you would know that you may not injure or have the same injury, which they said was a calf injury at first. I know there's a lot of people that say, well, it probably uh, was an Achilles to begin with, not necessarily not ruptured, but it was an Achilles problem, whatever the case may be. But there's always a risk of another injury once you're coming off an injury. And that the injury he was coming off of is an injury that, you know, really takes months. You know, you could do the six week thing, which they tried to do. But that's an injury that if you want it to be fully healed, it takes months. But realizing that that team needed him and they weren't going to win that game without Kevin Durant. He gave it his all. And all these haters out here on Kevin Durant, I've been trying to uh, trying to talk with uh, just sort of explain or talk about the Kevin Durant situation from the way that I see it. Again, I've always maintained you can say what you want. A lot of people say, well, he came to a team that was already loaded. All of that. You can say all of that. You can say what you want. At the end of the day, as I'll always continue to say, you don't want to be known as one of the greatest players to ever play, which Kevin Durant is and will be as his career continues and not have won an NBA championship. Uh, number two, uh, he wasn't a, a hanger on in 2017 and 2018. He led that team. He led that Golden State team to the championship when, you know, when it wasn't on for Steph Curry and, 
and 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 some of the other players weren't on. It was Kevin Durant that stepped up and won two MVP uh, NBA Final MVP awards. Um, so all of the haters um, can stop hating. And by the way, even though Durant is going to be out on next year, he's still going to get that match deal. Even though he's going to be out for a year, he's going to get that match deal. Now, slightly less, Kevin Durant is still a very, very good player. We'll talk more Kevin Durant on this Father's Day edition as From the Press Box to Press Row rolls on. The old renaissance is the new renaissance. Standing on tradition while embracing the spirit of distinction. This is the Harlem Brewing Company. Uniquely crafted beer brewed to deliver a taste, a sound, and a feeling that can only be described in one way. Harlem style. So come and take a trip on the A-Train with our Harlem Sugar Hill Golden Ale and our Harlem Renaissance Whitbeer. The neighborhood original. Brought to you by Harlem Beer Distributing North Carolina. Visit them at HarlemBeerNC.com. Mommy, where are we going? To the grocery store, honey. Oh, goody, Mommy. Can we buy an original bag of Marjorie's beef jerky? Of what? An original bag of Marjorie's beef jerky. It's really good, Mommy. Dad let me try some, and I couldn't help myself, and I ate it all, and I was hoping that you could, like, help me replace it before he comes home from work. Why would you eat all of Dad's beef jerky? Mommy, I couldn't help myself. Marjorie's beef jerky is so good, and Daddy says it's good for you. Well, it sounds like we had better buy two bags to avoid this from happening again. Thanks, Mom. Marjorie's Beef Jerky, the best beef jerky on the planet. You can also purchase Marjorie's Beef Jerky online at Marjorie'sBeefJerky.com. That's Marjorie'sBeefJerky.com or call them toll free 844-340-7613. Marjorie's Beef Jerky, the best beef jerky on the planet. You're listening to From the Press Box to Press Row. In the ghetto as a street thug. At age 16, I started selling cheap drugs. Ecstasy would cost you three. A year later, I robbed the dope house and stole the key. 46 is what I count. Now multiply 36 and 700 ounce. Bag it up and make my profit. But something in office is trying to stop it. It's a Father's Day edition up from the press box to press row. I'm your host, Donald Ware. And as we've done, I'd, I'd say the previous two years, and this will be our third year, if I'm not mistaken, I bring my father on on this Father's Day edition of the program to talk a little bit. Of course, he's a graduate of Howard University, a Howard Hall of Famer, played football there and, of course, um, had an opportunity to play with the Washington Redskins, also officiated in the CIAA for 31 years. Um, and uh, he joins us here on the line. What's happening? Yeah, how you doing? I'm glad to be a part of this uh, so-called annual Father's Day. I, I look forward to it, so uh, hopefully we can have many more. Yeah. So let me, let's just, you know, injuries is all part of the game. You, you know, you played the game a long time. So Kevin Durant with the injury that he had would, uh, first it was thought to be a, a calf or, uh, or what have you, ultimately now a ruptured Achilles. Should he, should he have played? Do you think he should have, should have uh, come out and played uh, in game five? No, I don't think he should have played because it was, um, you know, calf injury is 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 uh, is a bad injury. 
Achilles is even worse, but he really didn't have time to really test the leg. So he just, um, you know, just one day he decided to play, and I think he decided to just play because I think he felt, I think he felt pressured. I think he felt pressured because other members of his team were injured and they they came back. And I thought he sort of felt guilty that um, I need to help this team win. And uh, so that's why I think he came back um, too soon. And obviously it uh, it led to a more serious injury that could probably keep him out more than a year. And, and then Achilles, as you know, um, they could rupture at any time. So it, it, it um, I, I think he was um, sort of forced. All athletes want to play, especially the, the great athletes such as he is. They want to play and, and, and prove their their worth. And I think he just forced himself to, to, to come back. I, I think that the, um, the medical staff, I don't think they or the coaching staff or the administration uh, – was the, I don't think it was their decision. I think it was his decision to, to come back and come back and play. Yeah, no, uh, uh, definitely unfortunate. Now, you know, it's going to be out uh, for at least uh, a year, and then we'll see what happens next year. But, of course, you played ball. So did you ever have an injury like this? Well, uh, I had, um, I don't know if it was a calf injury or Achilles injury, but uh, I think my end of my freshman year or early part of my sophomore year, I had an injury which I had to, um, you know, miss a, a maybe a game and a half. Uh, I got clipped in the back uh, on my, I think, on my uh, left leg. And um, I didn't miss any substantial time, but it was hard to keep me, you know, on the sideline. It's hard to keep me on the, you know, from coming on the field. And uh, but um, I stayed out that game and a half, and uh, the injury got better, and I I came back. I didn't have any really 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 um, bad injury to keep me out. But beyond that, um, I um, had another injury my uh, senior year, which didn't keep me prevent me from playing in the games. But the injury got worse as I got um, into the Washington Redskins training camp in Carlisle. Yeah. So what? So what? What exactly was that injury? Well, it was a. As I understood it, it was a, a, a poor tarsal bone in my in my left foot um, under my arch, and I couldn't push off. And I think I sustained that injury by doing uh, what they call suicide. A hill where you run up the hill, you know, back, you know, jog down, then run up and jog down and run up. And I think I, I pulled something there, and that um, that carried on into the Redskins camp. And with the amount of uh, physical exercise that you had there, it, it it got worse. So I mean, yeah, you know, and that. I- it's just no time for that to to really heal. And did I? I don't know. Did the skins kind of know that going in? Well, no. Um, the injury had gotten better. You know, uh, like I forgot exactly when I sustained the injury, but 
uh, it uh, was good through my, you know, junior and senior year. It just, uh, I re-injured it at the, at the Redskins camp, and it got, it got worse. It got worse to the point that I could not really run and participate in the uh, exercises. And as you know, as a defensive back, you have to be able to cut and stop and go and back and forth. So I could not, um, I couldn't do that. That is the voice of my father, Donald Wares. He joins us here on From the Press Box to Press Row on this Father's Day edition of the program. I mean, we're going to talk about some of the things. Obviously, we have some new listeners that haven't, don't really know your story, but we have some, obviously, that do and have heard you the last couple of years. You know, I want to know about the days of growing up in Washington. I mean, you got all these great players that have come through uh, Washington, D.C., you know, the, the Dave Bings of the world and, um, and, and so on. And Austin Carr, who you knew quite well. And all of these, I mean, it's very, you know, so many other players, Sherman Douglas, probably a little bit more recently. Um, what, what were those days like in some of the great athletes that came up in the district? Well, I, I can tell you, um, the DC recreation was filled up with, uh, super athletes and, um, it, you could play baseball, softball, touch football, basketball, throughout the city. And I, I, yes, I grew up with Austin Carr. In fact, we lived in River Terrace together. I think our backyards joined, and he lived on 36th Street, and we lived on 35th. And uh, we got to know him when I was in the fourth grade. And uh, we played um, um, together on a, you know, a River Terrace um, baseball team and uh and then on from there, I went on. We went different directions. We moved to Northwest, where I went to Cardoza, and I think he uh, went to Mackin. And um, I remember Cardoza playing Mackin in the Christmas tournament at John Carroll High School. And I hadn't seen Austin, I guess, in about uh, four or five years. And he certainly grew in height because he was about you know six four, but he was very very good and 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 in basketball, uh, he is probably the best basketball player that I have seen in, in the D.C. area. I, I, I know about Elgin Bell. I, I was a little too young to really remember him that well. And some of the other great players that played at Spingon and throughout the city. But Austin Carr was, was ideal. He was uh, just a pure jump sh- you know, shooter. And uh, I don't believe they had the three-point you know, line at that time, but he was just a good athlete. I mean, he could dribble, he could shoot left, right-handed, he could rebound, and um, so he he had he was a complete package. Yeah, you know, no question about it. So, I mean, what are what are who are some of the other, not not necessarily some of the other guys, but I mean, who did you who did you and maybe your friends, you know, your brother, et cetera, maybe look up to as you guys were coming up that went on to do some maybe some major things, play some pro ball. <clears throat> trying to see who we looked up to. You know, I can't begin to to um, to say who, who we looked at. Let me say this. I looked up to my brother uh, because he was, uh, you know, roughly about two years older, and uh, playing with him, it gave me the opportunity to play with older, older boys. Uh, when I was 12, I was playing with, you know, boys, teenagers, when they were, you know, 14 and 15 years old. So that gave me an edge up. So 
so when I finally started to to play with um, boys my own age, I, I had an edge on them because of playing with the older older boys. But I basically I, I looked up to my brother. I, I can't uh, really name anybody I really looked up to because you know my brother and I we were we were really good. So and not to broach or brag, I think maybe <laughs> some of the people looked up to us that we weren't aware of, but I don't think we actually looked up to anyone. It was just so much competition, me playing with older boys, looking up to my brother uh, would be the answer to that. Uh, I would think that uh, he was the one that I idolized and wanted to, to uh, be like. Why Howard? You you mentioned going to Cadoza. Why, why Howard? You stayed home. Why Howard? Well, I was trying to um, uh, get a... a football and baseball scholarship, uh, uh, baseball scholarship to New Mexico State and also to Hampton and a football uh, scholarship to, um, I think it was North Carolina Central was looking at me. They came up to school one day to, to tie me in a 40 and, and so forth and so on. But those uh, those scholarships fell through. So I was, um, uh, I was uh, accepted academically at Howard because Howard um, had come over to um, to my high school, and we, you know, everybody, you know, applied for it, and your sixty dollar registration fee, and so forth. So I got a letter back from Howard saying that you're academically eligible to to uh, start school here, and so forth and so on. So come down, and so forth and so on. But I didn't, I really didn't want to attend Howard because Howard wasn't really up on af- athletics at that time. I really wanted to to go and. Um, you know, play baseball or, or football, but uh, I wasn't able to get a, a scholarship, so I decided to um, to venture on down George Avenue to to Howard, and I registered there. In fact, uh, story goes, um, I did well on my uh, SATs in math, and uh, Howard. In fact, Howard offered offered me a um, engineering you know scholarship, but I. I I didn't accept it. I, I didn't want to attend Howard. I wanted to play. I wanted to play sports. So when I found out I wasn't going to get a academic uh, athletic scholarship, I went down to Howard to see about getting the engineering scholarship, and they indicated that they had given the money to someone else because I didn't respond in time. So that's when I decided. Well, I may as well go on and register and get in Howard. So that's when I uh, put in my application. And it was accepted academically, and that's how I wound up going to Howard. Let's step aside, take a break. It's the Father's Day edition of From the Press Box to Press Row, talking with my father, Donald Ware. More on the other side. Let's continue here on From the Press Box to Press Row, Father's Day edition of the program, talking with my father, Donald Ware, here on the program on the other side, talking a little bit about growing up in Washington, D.C., playing ball, and then, of course, ultimately ended up at Howard University. You've talked about this in terms of the freshman year and, and being able to or having to make that adjustment. What was sort of that like adjusting from, uh, you know, growing up in the inner city to now going to Howard and, you know, trying to, um, you know, trying to get time really at the beginning on that football team? That was uh, quite an experience. Um I felt initially when when we went through all the practices and so forth and so on 
that I should have started, you know, right off. But I guess the uh, the coaches felt that no, well, you're you're a freshman, you're a prep, and you don't know and this and that. But I I felt that I was better than the um, other defensive backs uh, on Howard's team. So after the second game, after sitting on the bench for two straight games in front of my hometown, because a lot of the people that I knew in the city and a lot of them who attended Cardoza would come to the games to see me, but I would continue to sit on the bench. So one day um, after that second game, I think the Monday practice, I went down to the coach's office before practice started, and and I just basically, I bitterly complained that I felt that I could, um, I, I should be starting and I'm better than the people out on the field. And he thought I was just boasting and bragging and so forth and so on. So they set up a special practice where, you know, they, you know, one at a time, each of each of the guys would charge me and try to knock me out of a circle, very similar to the um, different drills that we do. And uh, I tell you, they they beat me up uh, pretty badly. And um, so I just I took my lumps and 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 I kept my mouth closed. But then it was uh, I think the the third game we were playing at home. We were playing Delaware State. And um, again, I was on the bench, and I was being needled by a lot of the um, my former uh, coaches and players at Cardoza and people that I knew around the city. So I forgot exactly what part of the game it was happening, but one of our linebackers was getting, you know, beat by a running back out of the backfield. They couldn't check this running back out of the backfield, so. He called for me to, you know, to go into the game to play linebacker at a five-four defense. So, with that five-four, I'm playing middle linebacker, one of the middle linebacker slots. And I, I remember this guy from Delaware State, number sixty-eight. He was all CIAA. He was a senior, and he was killing me. He would hook me under my arms, lift me up, and dump me on my head. And um, so the other linebacker, my linebacker, was saying, "Hey, you got to hold your ground. You got to hold your ground." But he was killing me, and I really wanted to come out of the game. That's that's one time I just looked over the sideline and said, Coach, please come get me. But I, I hung in there, and I noticed that this little uh, running back from, from Delaware would slip out the backfield. You know, That's why I went in the game, because they couldn't check him. So I noticed when number 68, the offensive guard, stepped forward, then he stepped back. I knew it was uh, it was a pass. So I jockeyed back into my zone, and I saw the the little back you know, flaring out to the side. So I made a a beeline right to him and caught the ball, ran 62 yards with an interception. They caught me, uh, you know, and um, they, they all had an angle on me. That that was my excuse. But um, I, after that, I played every down. The voice of Donald Ware, my father, joins us here on the program on this Father's Day edition of from the press box to press row. So, of course, four successful years at Howard and then ultimately um, getting that opportunity with the uh, with the Washington Redskins and, and even uh, with the Skins and with, uh, of course, with Vince Lombardi. Just kind of, you know, sort of take us through that and talk about that time. Well, you know, um, I was um, – I, I knew I wasn't going to be uh, – I, I didn't think I was going to be drafted. Uh, I was contacted by a lot of um, – uh, teams, maybe about uh, 10 teams to say that, uh, 
hey, look, what do you run the 100 in? Would you be interested in coming to us, you know, uh, if, if, if you are not drafted and so forth and so on? I know it was the Kansas City Chiefs, San Diego Chargers, Denver Broncos, you know, a lot of the uh, teams like that. And um, so uh, that particular um, time they were having the draft, I did not get a call. And I then therefore I, it could have been 17 rounds of, of draft at at that time uh, because I felt I would go in the, the later rounds like the 15th, 16th, or 17th. But it was a, a toss up between myself and a, a, a safety from uh, Livingstone College, and I heard that um, they selected him, so I knew my chances of being drafted were were, were gone. So um, you know I was. Pretty saddened by that, but uh, but you know I, I at least uh, I, they expressed some interest in me and so forth and so on. So I um, received a call from the Washington Redskins, and it was um, it was but Bobby Mitchell was on on the phone, and he indicated that uh, we know you weren't drafted, and uh, we were wanted to know if you would be interested in coming and signing. You know, football contract with us as a free agent, and I said yes, I can come right now. You know, but he said no, come on Monday, February the third is when I went down to the Redskins office, which at that time was at Connecticut and L Streets Northwest. So I went there that morning, had a nine o'clock meeting with Coach Lombardi, and uh, that was the big time that uh, he was considered, uh, if not the best football coach of, of all times to to express interest in, in my talents uh, that I had the potential to uh, play for him and play in the National Football League. So I was elated, and I got there certainly on time, about 10 minutes to 9, and I went into the office and I indicated to the uh, receptionist that I was down away and I have a 9 o'clock meeting with uh, coach, coach Vince Lombardi, and she told me to have a seat. So I did, and uh, I was nervously awaiting um, for the phone to ring, and it did at the receptionist's desk. And she said, "Okay, I'll send him right in." And and she told me to, you know, go in. So I walked past her straight ahead uh, to a, a door that opened. <laughs> uh, I guess someone had opened it, you know, um, the, the doors. I and I walked in, and I saw Vince sitting at at his. Um, at his desk, and Bobby Mitchell was sitting at one of the guest chairs. And as I walked in, Charlie Taylor had opened the, had opened the door for me. So once I entered the, the, the office, um, he shut the the door and went over to the. He was making a, a cup of coffee. So uh, Mitchell, Bobby uh, indicated for me to sit in the guest chair next to him. So uh, I waited there a couple of minutes, and and Vince was. Uh, signing and looking at some papers and so forth. So he pulled the papers aside and, and um, he introduced himself and, uh, and uh, introduced myself. I was very nervous and I really um, really couldn't hardly speak, really. And in fact, let me just go back. As I was walking towards the office, his office, it seemed like I was on a cloud. It's like I was so nervous I couldn't feel my feet. You know, and uh, I didn't think I was going to think, but I would think I thought I was going to fall. <laughs> but, but anyway, <laughs> I made it in and sat down, and um, and Vince um, introduced uh, pleasantries and, and so forth and so on. And he said uh, that we're interested in, in signing you as a 
industry agent, and we looked at some film and, and so forth and so on. And, and um, but he asked me, "How did how did you how did you feel about playing cornerback?" Now at Howard, I played safety. You know, I would play corner. You know, when the game is, hadn't been determined yet, when I had to try to you know shut down the best wide receiver and, and so forth. I tell him yes. I, I wasn't going to say to him, "Oh, well, coach, I'm I'm a I'm a safety. I don't want to play corner." No, you accept the role that they want. So they they saw some um, film and they thought that I would be a, a good corner. They felt that uh, in this discussion, he felt that I closed on the ball, you know, pretty well. And um, I think Bobby was telling him that I had really good speed, but I I don't think my speed was uh, that good. I think I ran. A four four seven in the forty, which at that time wasn't too bad. But anyway, I told him, I said, yeah, I'd, yeah, I, I, you know, I can play corner. And uh, and then he asked me, he said, well, what do you you think you can check Charlie Taylor? Now, Charlie Taylor is in the room, standing over by the coffee. And then when when um, when Vince asked me that question, can you check Charlie Taylor? I noticed that the spoon. He was stirring his coffee and was clicking up against the, the side of the cup, cling, 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 cling. And I, I said, my goodness, I'm in a situation here where the coach is asking me, do you think you can check Charlie Taylor? Now, I can't say to the coach, oh, no, coach, I can't, I can't <laughs> check him. Man. He's too good. Then he, what he's going to think about trying to, you know, me trying to make this team. And then at the same time, Charlie's standing there. You know, he's, he was, he's 6'2", six, 6'3". Six Two ten, so he's standing looking down at you. He looked like he was seven feet. So, so I I thought a moment, and Bobby, I noticed that he put his head down and he was like nervous, <laughs> not knowing how I would respond to this. Certainly, I want to say the right thing. I want to give some encouragement that I can, you know, check receivers in in a corner position. But at the same time, here I got Charlie Taylor in the room. It had been better had he not been there, but he was there. So I had to come up with something. So I thought a moment, and then I, I looked at Vince and I said, um, my response was, no one can. In other words, no one can check Charlie Taylor. So Taylor was, was happy with it, and Vince was happy too because he smiled. <laughs> he looked at me, had his glasses on, and he smiled because he. I was basically saying, He's the best receiver there. No one can. He can't. No one can check him. So at that moment, when I said no one can, he he slid this blue, long blue paper in front of me. It was an NFL professional NFL contract, and then that's when I signed my uh, Washington Redskins contact contract, which was on February the third, nineteen seventy, and and uh, I signed a contract for twelve thousand five hundred dollars. The twelve thousand was the minimum amount for incoming rookies, and the five hundred was for a bonus. I guess from you know being in the D.C. area, maybe I can, if I make the team, I can draw some people into the stadium because I believe at that time they weren't selling out at D.C. Stadium. So that that was um, an adventure that um, something I would never forget, and uh, uh, it was a very trying moment at at that time. But I think I. I must have said the right thing because of the contract I signed. It wasn't, I don't think, it, it, 
would that have made a difference if I had said to Vince and Bobby and Charlie, had I said, oh, well, no, I don't think I, they would have, you know, Bobby would have been upset because he was the one that scouted me and convinced the Redskins organization along with Vince. I think Vince Lombardi at the time was vice president also along with the, the head coach. Uh, convinced them that um, that um, I, you know, could could play the ball. So I, um, I think I said the right, right thing. I signed the contract and and I was on my way to Carlisle. Yeah, that is a great story. Unfortunately, we run out of time. Uh, so much more we could get to, and we'll have to, you know, we'll do this again, of course, next year. And um, those that um, uh, have uh, listened to. Of course, this uh, interview we've had over the years can log on to our website at BoxToRow.com and click on the archives to hear some of the other shows. My dad, Donald Ware, joins us here on From the Press Box to Press Row, this Father's Day edition. Uh, dad, I appreciate it, and uh, I'll, uh, I'll see you real soon. I, I look forward to 24 more years. No doubt. We got more after this. It's Donald Ware, host of From the Press Box to Press Row. The biggest names are guests on Box to Row. That is the voice of Kevin Durant. Oh, yeah, well, I'm just, you know, trying to get better every single day. You know, um, we've been through a lot as a team, and I enjoy playing with a great group of guys. Hey, this is Ronda Rousey. This is Michael Vick. Hi, this is Layla Ali. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Skylar Diggins. Hey, it's Alex Morgan with the U.S. Women's Soccer Team. I'm talking about none other than Serena Williams. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you. That was definitely one of the better matches I've ever played. I've had it just like that. You know, I was really focused, and I was really um, ready and serious and just really, you know, excited. Missed any of these interviews? Then check us out online at www.boxtorow.com. That's from the press box to press row. Real, relevant, radio. It's Donald Ware from the press box to press row. We're back here on from the press box to press row. Congratulations to the Toronto Raptors, 2019 NBA champions. Really a good series. The Raptors win it in six. We talked a lot about Kevin Durant. And again, as I've mentioned and I said a couple of weeks ago, and I've said that I, you know, the the rap the Warriors just weren't going to be able to win the series without Kevin Durant. And of course, Klay Thompson went down. That was huge. I, I thought that the Warriors had the momentum. Would they have won the game, meaning the Warriors, had Klay Thompson not gone down? I don't know. I mean, it's hard to say. All I know is that the Warriors definitely had momentum at the time that Thompson went down. And I got to give the Warriors a lot of credit. Like, they played very, very well. And it wasn't really Steph Curry. I thought Toronto's defense was phenomenal. They harassed Curry, I, I don't know. He may, once uh, he didn't he like he didn't have a great game, especially once Clay Thompson went down. But I thought Toronto did a phenomenal job. But I got to give Golden State a lot of credit for the lack of offensive firepower that it had. It found you know some guys that stepped up and scored. Even Draymond hit a three pointer. Uh, you had Iguodala that hit some shots. DeMarcus Cousins, 
obvious, you know, he 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 played well. So you got to give them a lot of credit. But Fred Van Vliet been talking about Fred Van Vliet for like a month now. And I mean, he hit some absolutely huge shots in the fourth quarter when it looked like Golden State was going to be able to extend that lead. He had a couple of, you know, or if not extend the lead, they would have been able to keep pace on the, the shot clock winding down. And Van Vliet hit some big time three pointers there in the second in, in, in the fourth quarter, more specifically. What a series for him. Uh, if you look at Kyle Lowry had talked about him a lot, especially early on in the playoffs and the lack of production that the Raptors were getting from him. And then really the last three weeks, even if it wasn't him scoring points necessarily, it, it, as good as Kawhi Leonard was, it was almost a situation where as Kyle Lowry goes, so goes the Raptors in the games that they won. You know, he 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 was scoring some points, but he was more of a distributor. And I think it was like eight assists a game in the games that they won in the games that they lost. He was averaging like four assists a game. So even if he wasn't on, which he was, by the way, I mean, if you look at that first quarter, I mean, he was he was dynamite. And then that big shot that he had in the fourth quarter, the one that um, bounced on the rim and dropped in was absolutely huge. Again, another opportunity for the Warriors if they get a stop right there then I think ultimately, you know, they got a shot at least to force a game seven. Obviously, they would not have had Klay Thompson in that game. He goes out with the torn ACL. So, um, you know, listen, I'm one. I, I when I when KD went down, you know, I think back, I say, OK, well, the Warriors are in the position that they're in. They're in a very similar position, uh, similar to what. The Cavaliers were in when they played the Warriors back in 2015. Obviously, the the Cavaliers weren't missing a superstar player as the Warriors uh, were in Kevin Durant. But when you don't have Kyrie Irving and you don't have Kevin Love and you're LeBron James and 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 and, and Cleveland was still very competitive in that series. Um, so I, I I likened it to that. Uh, and it was just out for the Warriors to go out and everybody was saying how great the Warriors were. They, you know, without KD, they swept Portland and they can get it done. And, you know, at the end of the day, they just didn't have the offensive firepower that they needed. And, and really it was Clay Thompson. That was the one that was, was really scoring. A lot of the points was really sort of shouldering the load, um, if you will, but, uh, and I thought early on that Toronto was a little bit tight. I thought uh, uh, Nurse, the coach, uh, you know, he was wanting every call. I think they wanted it so much that they were just, you know, they, they were tight. But that's a veteran team. It's a team that has a, a veteran presence. Guys that have been there before. You look at Serge Ibaka, his days uh, in Oklahoma City, they had been he had been to the finals before. Um, you look at Mark Gasol. Um, Mr. Consistent, when you're talking about his time with the Grizzlies, Kawhi Leonard is a guy that has won an NBA championship, uh, has been a finals MVP. Uh, and then you had, you know, uh, Siakam as a younger guy. You know, Van Vliet has been in some games. If you go back three, I think if you go back three years ago, boy, Van Vliet plays 
um, in in the playoffs, maybe Toronto, maybe it's a little bit of a different story for Toronto going back to the maybe 2016 season, maybe 2017. Listen, um, congratulations again to Toronto. They deserved it. They played well. I thought, you know, again, it, it, as I said earlier in the program, Kevin Durant plays. I think they have a chance. Uh, he did play, even albeit 11 minutes in Game Five. Uh, they, the, meaning the Warriors ended up winning that game, forcing the game six to go back to Oakland. Uh, again, I thought the Warriors had their opportunities. They couldn't hit shots when they needed to hit shots. Um, and again, Clay Thompson going down was huge. And, and by the way, boy, you got to really feel bad for Clay Thompson. Now he has the, uh, the torn ACL and so it's going to take time for him to come back. Is he going to be able to come back? And he'll, he maybe he'll, he'll he should be able to come back and play at some point next year. But again, he's a free agent. Do you treat him? I don't think he gets treated the same way that Kevin Durant gets treated in terms of getting that max contract. Certainly, if had he made All NBA. Uh, you know, he lost money by not making all NBA. And, and that, you know, that's sort of another situation. Should guys be tied to money because they make the all NBA team or not? And you ha- I mean, you, you don't even have players that are voting on this thing. Like, I think that whole thing makes absolutely no sense. Uh, although if I look at that all NBA team, who do I take off the team? Like if you want to put Clay Thompson on that team, and I think Clay Thompson definitely deserved to be all NBA. And remember um, in the NBA, it's by position and not by player. So in other words, you have to have two guards, two forwards and a center, and you only have three teams, first team, second team, third team. Who do you take off one of those teams? Do you take Kemba Walker off one of those teams? I don't know. I I don't know about that. I mean, look at the season that Kemba Walker had. Um, you know, do you ha- do you take Russell Westbrook off one of those teams? Maybe, but then again, you know, you're you're talking about a guy that once again averaged a triple double. So where does Klay Thompson go? With that being said, boy, that is just a tough tough break. I feel so bad for Klay Thompson. Um, I don't think he he he's you know, he was poised to get that max. I think moving forward, you know, he was a guy that was definitely poised to get that max deal. If you look at the I, I and, and I and I thought about this and I was like, I, I think Clay is a, like he's one of those. He To me, Clay Thompson is one of those guys. He reminds me a little bit um, of Bradley Beal for the Wizards. Like he's a guy that. Um, I, I'm not sure that he's a max player, but you got to pay him like a max player because he's, he's, he's that type of, he, you know, he's, he's not, you know, Clay Thompson isn't, you know, he's, he's in, in the, in the same league as Kevin Durant and Kawhi Leonard and LeBron James. Um, but at the same time, you know, he is extremely valuable. He's smooth. Like I think he's smoother in a lot of respects than even Steph Curry is when he's shooting that shot. I mean, Clay Thompson is so smooth. Plus he's an all around player. You know, I feel, I mean, I feel awful for him. You know, does he now get the max deal with the torn ACL? I mean, I think he's able going to be able to come back. He's, you know, he's an excellent defender. And I, I think ultimately, 
somebody's going to give him the, the, the uh, you know, the match deal. And you hope that is Golden State, if they can, you know, sort of keep the core of that team together, whether or not Kevin Durant is going to come back to Golden State. Um, we don't know that, but I mean, they more than likely won't have him for next season anyway. And so they would be poised to try to make a run in 2021 with Klay Thompson um, back. Obviously, Steph Curry's still going to be there. He's already under contract. Um, I, I, I'm not sure if Draymond, I think Draymond Green's contract may be up after after next season. So what do you do if you're Golden State uh, right there? But listen, give all the credit in the world to Toronto. Um, a, a, a great mix of veteran players, uh, of younger players. And listen, Kawhi can do what he wants now. He's more than likely not going to be in. Uh, who knows? Who knows? Who really knows? Like he, they win the championship. Does he want to come back with that core and do it all over again? They would definitely have to be the favorites going into next season. I don't think there's any doubt uh, about that, especially now that Kevin Durant more than likely is not going to play next season at all. They'd have to be no matter where KD goes. I mean, Toronto would have to be the favorites next year, especially if Kawhi Leonard comes back. My time is about up today. I thank you for yours. Thank you to my father, Donald Weir, for joining us today on the program on this Father's Day edition of From the Press Box to Press Row. Have a wonderful, wonderful Father's Day. Got some great stuff on our website at BoxToRow.com. If you've missed any of our shows over the last, over this uh, entire year, log on to our website, BoxToRow.com, and click on the podcast link. Also, don't forget the HBCU Football Daily Podcast begins on Wednesday. We kick things off with All Corn State. Log on to our website, BoxToRow.com, and click on the football uh, HBCU Football Daily Podcast link, which again starts on Wednesday. And always remember to support those that support Yo, from the press box to press row is presented by DW Communications. This year, Halloween fell on the weekend. Me and Ghetto Boys are trick or treating. Robbing little kids for bags. Till an old man got behind our rags. So we speeded up the pace, took a look back, and he was right before our face. We were in for a squabble, no doubt. So I swung and tried to take him out. He was going down, we planned. But this wasn't no ordinary man. He stood about six or seven feet. Now that's the creep I be seeing in my sleep. So we triple teamed on him. Dropping them fifth ward bees on him. The more I swung, the more blood flew. Then he disappeared, then my boys disappeared too. Then I felt just like a fiend. It wasn't even close to Halloween. It was dark as death on the streets. My hands were all bloody from punches on the concrete. Oh man, homie. My mind is playing tricks on me.